Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guests are Tom Pizer, Director of Learning Technologies at GP Strategies, and Kathleen Duncan, a technical project manager at GP Strategies. Kathleen, Tom, it's great to have you. Thanks, Jeremy. It's nice to be here. Thank you, Jeremy. A pleasure. So there are so many intriguing new technologies, new learning technologies out there, as you guys well know, that it can be hard to know which ones are going to work best for a given organization. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how to handle that challenge. And Kathleen, I'm going to throw this to you first. When you're in that early design phase, how do you choose which technologies you're going to present at a design session and how do you present them? When we're in the early design phase, we do want to be open with a range of options and not try to restrict it down because we want those ideas to continue during the design phase. So rather than locking ourselves into a solution very early, we struggle, but always try to keep an open mind um, to make sure that we're keeping all of those doors and that wide view open anything's in play for the creative process part. For assuming we've already discussed learner needs, we've got a general project scope, we have things to find a little bit more, and we really are at that point where we need to present and start going down a specific path and exploring a, a specific technology to see if it's going to work. A great place to start is to prepare a really simple feature matrix. So just a chart or a spreadsheet, a list that kind of you know bullet points out or line items out those desired features or functionalities, and then alongside a list of platform options. Have have one or a few people just review general websites, Google, starting off with known products or known solution ideas, top lists, and just go into those websites and look for those keywords that match what your feature matrix is outlining displaying. Just do a checklist. This one has this. You can add new features. If a product is highlighting other functionalities or features or integration points that they really want to promote, add those to the list, but be mindful of what you're really trying to do for your own project first and just compare. It's also really cool to capture that positioning, positioning statement for each of those products. So One might say, this is best uh, social collaboration. It's really good at doing that. This one promotes maybe more robust reporting. This one might say security and so on. So look for that market statement and capture that on the side. And then finally, when you've gone through all of that, I like to take a PowerPoint slide or just a, a simple walkthrough presentation to flesh out more of those details for things that look good and include information like pricing plans, hosting options for consideration. And then don't forget to include the technologies that you already have, because mm-hmm. it's really nice to be able to compare things that you're looking forward to the, for the future with things that you already have to see where you might be bridging those gaps, or you might be surprised that what you have can do a lot of the things that you're looking to do. Part of this is just laying out the facts of what we're dealing with here. Here are some options. Here's what they're all about. To, just to allow people to grasp it easily without having to go back and do all that work themselves. It's that preliminary look that you don't have mm-hmm. to uh, download a trial and try it out. You don't have to yeah. um, even engage or try to purchase something or negotiate prices yet. You really are just looking 
apples to apples and maybe some oranges and bananas in there too to see how things play out. And you might say like, wow, this one has a lot of strong features and a lot of robust functionalities for the future, but we're not there yet. And this one really falls short on some of the critical components that we need. And just laying them out, you can start narrowing it down and have your project team or your client, if that's the case, make that decision as well. Mm -hmm. And, And a lot of times we're trying to keep these options open. So we're looking first from the perspective of what is going to engage that learner in order to meet what those learning objectives are. And we may come to the client with more than one approach. We may discuss several different options that may help get that learner, move those needles that we need to move with those learners. So Tom, to what extent is part of this process also getting a client excited about the possibilities that you're putting before them? And if that is a factor, how do you go about doing that? Uh, it's a great question. Sometimes these customers, these clients come to the table with an expectation that they want to see innovation. They want to see something new. In order to deliver that, we try to foster intellectual curiosity on the side of our team members. So we encourage our teams to be intellectually curious about what's going on in the industry. And when we talk about the industry, we're not just talking about the learning industry. We're also talking about the commercial industry. If we're seeing in in some of the earlier days that mobile computing is the way that people are conducting their social lives, how might we infuse that into the learning ecosystem? And if we see that devices such as virtual reality, Google Cardboard came out a few years ago and people it started making an impact, people started getting interested, interested in that. How might we include that as part of our learning ecosystem and target some of those learning requirements and learning needs? So we want to foster an environment where our developers and our creative teams can look to that and can look to what's going on in the industry and practice some of that and maybe bite off some some digestible bites of how we can start to infuse some of this technology without getting too deep and getting too risky. Tom, can you give uh, an example from your experience of what that looks like in practice? Sure. Uh, A number of years ago, when the Google Cardboards, which I had mentioned, first came out, we recognized that, of course, everybody's got a mobile phone and everybody's mobile connected. Google came out with a cardboard and we thought, wow, wouldn't that be great to allow learners to learn in a virtual environment? We had an upcoming customer forum, that's the GP customer forum, where clients get together and learn from each other. As part of a breakout activity, I challenged my team to build a virtual reality-based breakout session where customers would be broken into teams, they would share a device, they would share a Google Cardboard, and they'd go uh, through a game, through a a game of taboo, if you've ever heard Mm. of a game of taboo. Mm-hmm. where team members would be listing off items that the team member with the headset should be looking for in the virtual environment. And the faster that each of these teams did this, the more points they got. This was a fantastic opportunity for our team to, with a, with a low bar, to get in there, experiment with what it means to put virtual reality content together, interactions inside of a virtual environment, and allow these participants in this session uh, to run through that. Didn't cost a lot of money, didn't take a lot of time. And not only did we learn a lot, but our customers learned a lot as well. 
so Kathleen, uh, a few minutes ago, you mentioned learner re requirements as an important element when you're in this phase of looking at different technologies. And of course, there's also the factor of the desired learning outcomes for the organization. So let's dig into that a little bit. When it comes to learner requirements, desired learning outcomes, what are you looking for exactly? Sure. Uh, for learning outcomes, that could be a variety of things from measuring something actual, like a decrease in customer support claims or um, shorter time on a phone call for a call center or, or things like that, something you can actually measure and attribute back to your learning technologies or your learning uh, programs. It could also be something that just matches behaviors to kind of mold behaviors and support behaviors. For example, if I'm looking for something that can meet the need, I want my learners to be able to access a knowledge center, to have access to just-in-time knowledge or a library of information that they can look up. So I would want to look for a technology that supported, that's the one-to-one -one kind of match. Yes, it does this. But then I'm looking for something that can expand that technology, push it a little bit for, uh, further. Does it allow learners to maybe ask questions back or share information or seek coaching? And I think that's a way that you can take your learning, match it up to your needs, but then use it to grow your program and use it to grow your learners and use it to continue that learning function exponentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tom, anything to add there? One of the things that we try to do is, of course, make sure that we come to the table with uh, unique approaches and that these approaches are meeting a, a specific customer need. The other thing that we want to do is we want to make sure that we scaffold that, that implementation with things that are going to help uh, support rollout, especially if we're talking about a new approach or a new technology. Sometimes this will be a, a train the trainer to, to assist them with that. Sometimes it's us coming to the table, really thinking through the delivery of the solution. What is the measurement that we have to capture? What are the things that we have to consider? I'll, I'll give you a great curveball that was thrown at us with some of our virtual reality rollouts recently. We were in the process of developing content for virtual reality. The original intent was that this solution would be moderated and, and assisted by a facilitator and then COVID hit. And so what do we do in order to provide that level of support. So we got into a situation where we really needed to think through how are we going to handle distribution of these devices? How are we going to ensure that people are able to adequately go through this activity and be successful with it? And so that came out with some additional materials and some additional online support from us in order to support the client. That's really interesting. And a really good example too of how COVID and things like COVID, right? Crises can really spur innovation really drive things forward. So learner needs and learning outcomes are really important, but they're just one consideration. So Kathleen, what are some other business considerations? What are some other business factors that you need to consider when choosing a technology? It's like a juggling game, a juggling yeah. activity, where each one of these is a ball. And if you forget one, you throw it in later and you're dropping a lot more balls. Right. Definitely have the IT support consideration, where even though you're close and you're personal to the task at hand of a specific learning program or curriculum or objective or a, a single technology rollout, you need to look up a little bit and reach out to IT, see if they can support it. They might not be needed all the time, but 
everyone needs to be aware of what you're trying to do to make sure that even the infrastructure can support what you're what you need. I've got a lot of examples where the perfect product was selected, but the makeup of the IT, you know, infrastructure in a company didn't really allow itself uh, for for a really good success for the full program. Specifically into security considerations, you might find something that's perfect and find out that your company won't allow any cloud solutions. Maybe the learner base is not allowed to bring mobile devices into the workforce for any security uh, requirements or restrictions. With IT and security, those two things can really take some options off the table. Integration is a really big one. So I think we're down to three, IT, security, and integration. Integration, including taking a look at your whole ecosystem and where does this thing fit in? Does it have to talk to other systems? Is it a standalone uh, program? Does a standalone piece of technology, that might be fine. It might be perfect. If you're expecting your learners to then have five different accounts and five different technologies and five different methods of accessing information, the buy-in from the learner base, they're probably going to abandon some things. So the integration, ecosystem impact, as well as compatibility. Uh, does it work on only one browser, but your company has you use another browser? And finally, cost. Take yeah. a look at the cost and the pricing. There might be an initial cost to uh, implement and roll out. There might be an ongoing cost just to manage the program itself from the content perspective and the user support perspective. And then there also may be licensing factors. Is it a pay by the seat, pay by the month, pay by the quarter or, or annual recurring fees? Or is it a you can build pieces and then you don't have to pay for it again? I think a lot of times you'll see a, a final price tag if you're trying to work on a program with a five-year plan or a two-year plan, and you see this really big price because you have a large user base, or maybe you want a pilot and it's small, you got to be able to uh, ramp up pricing and, and adjust the licensing. So mm -hmm. all of those things together, I think that I can think of uh, several examples for each one of those where there have been some struggles and some adjustments just to get through things. It's also in consideration of some of the technical and technology related things. It's never a bad investment to bring those practitioners or those stakeholders to the table very early in the discussion. So rather than surprising them with a solution or a challenge for the rollout, by involving them early, they become champions and they become partners in the development uh, and the deployment of a solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I think there's probably a balance there. The more people you bring in, the more opinions there are and so on. You don't want to have so many that it just stops everything in its tracks. But on the other hand, you don't just want to surprise everybody all of a sudden. Here's the new cool thing. Absolutely. Let's go back to the cost issue for a second, because Kathleen, as you mentioned, some of these technologies can be pretty expensive. It's a significant investment. So Tom, Let's say you have an organization or an organization as a client that's really excited about a technology option, but just realistically, their budget doesn't allow for it. Is there a way around saying, okay, tough, you just can't afford it, you'll have to go to the next best thing? Is that the solution or are there other kind of more subtle ways to deal with this issue? Yeah, that's another great question. You need to innovate in a safe way and you need to innovate in digestible chunks. 
there is typically a, an easier way to ease in and test these technologies. So when we're talking about things like gamification, there is a big investment in gamification if you decide to just go for the full thing and you say, you know what, we're going to have a gamification platform and we're going to build some game-based learning. But if you look at that through a long lens, you don't know what you don't know about implementing a solution or a technology like that. Start off with uh, some smaller projects. Some of these uh, projects where you're implementing gamification at the at the course level first, as opposed to an entire curriculum level. Start innovating by bringing in uh, game-based learning and then implementing that and measuring that with the learners and ensure that you've got that uptick and that follow-through and then continue to innovate and continue to infuse that into your learning programs. Then when you're ready to make the leap to a you know larger enterprise gamification-based system, you really have learned what you know and don't know about those learners and what will uh, move those needles. And Tom, okay. you might find out that it didn't work like you thought it was going to work. So starting small and using those smaller pieces as a pilot, if you will, even though it's a, a fully functioning program, can help you prove that concept to get the additional funding or investment to build more a good example, again, too, is the VR realm. Rather than trying to plan out an entire curriculum of every single course you might have and translate it into some type of virtual reality world, and then find out later that uh, you can't distribute headsets, you can't get the hands where you need them to train or to guide, or you find out much of the content might not translate to VR. If you start small, test one, get that buy-in and excitement, prove that it's working, needed, beneficial, then you can continue to roll out and add more. So clearly a lot goes into choosing the right technology. Like you said, Kathleen, keeping a lot of balls in the air, right? So Tom, what's the best way to take all these elements, factor them in, and then actually take the next step and move forward? Yeah. So really what you want to do is when you get to the conclusion of one of these types of innovative projects, you will have learned a lot along the way. And like any type of learning integration, you'll find that there are different levels and different approaches. You want to make sure that you document and that you have a, a clear understanding for where a level one solution versus a level two or a level three is required. So you want to make sure that everything you've learned along the way is documented so that it's replicable for your instructional designers who are designing these solutions in the future, for your programmers who are programming these, for your project managers who need the tools and the support in order to lead these projects going forward. It's very easy to co-locate this information into a deck or into written materials and then provide that to future teams who are going to need to implement solutions such as this. Okay, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time you've documented it. They can learn from your process. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so finally, what's at stake here? What happens when you make the wrong choice, despite all of your work, and you end up with a technology that just doesn't work for your organization? Kathleen, let's get your thoughts first. There are no wrong choices. They might feel like a wrong choice. Your team might be down if they feel like it's not a success, but really, you know, that can be a, a success for moving forward. 
if you treat it more as trying technologies to achieve goals and getting organizational support, it can really be turned into a positive. Of course, you need to take a look. What is the factor? Why isn't it working for your organization? So that when you can um, either repair that, it could be a simple fix. It might be a misunderstanding. The technology might be working great. It could be something small. It could be one of those kind of five factors of IT, security, et cetera, or costs. Tom, what, what are your thoughts on that one? It's a good question. And not every one of these solutions is going to be met with the impact of the enthusiasm that you assumed at the very beginning. We have implemented uh, solutions such as this, and it may land with a dull thud. Now, what we haven't done is we haven't failed in delivering the solution. What we have succeeded in doing is determining that solution was not as effective as we had assumed. And rather than going on a large investment for that customer or for that learning base, we've further determined where the actual fit for such a technology is, and we have actually saved that customer a large investment in the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. And in, in other words, part of the goal of this entire process is to be able to make that determination before you make the full investment in a technology to at least have some evidence it's going to work or it's not, or here are some potential problems and so on. That's exactly right. All right, great. Tom, Kathleen, thank you guys for a really great discussion. Thank you. It was a really uh, enjoyable experience to be able to share our knowledge. Thank you very much. I, I never get tired of talking about innovation and technology. All right. Thanks again. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.